Let us pray. Our God and Father, we have spoken in this hymn of the Father's love. And we have the standard before us of the height and depth of that love in thine own expression that he spared not his only son. And we are very conscious that this is even beyond our ability to express or explain. But we thank thee it's not beyond the grasp of our faith that we can say out of a full heart the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And we pray thee that we may ever be able to make this witness that we find the beloved Son of God the centre and circumference of all our witness, our living, our thinking and our hope of glory. We bless thee that thou hast pointed out to us the principle of right division. We thank thee we distinguish the dispensations. We thank thee we have some consciousness of the peculiar character of our hope. But we do bless thee that it's never moved us away from him the centre. Indeed, it's made him even more wonderful, even more precious. And we pray thee again this evening as we open thy word and read its pages that the Lord Jesus Christ in some aspect and facet of his grace and mercy, peace and forgiveness may become more precious to us than before. We ask thee to abundantly bless all that goes from this chapel, praying especially for those tapes which are going out of Wisconsin and instructing so many there in the glories of this high calling that they may otherwise never receive. We thank thee, our gracious Father, that thou art calling out thy people, and thou dost know them from the beginning, and all these various means are under thy control. Bless, we pray thee, what goes out from this chapel this evening, and grant that it may meet someone's need, and lead them closer to thyself and to thy wondrous word. We ask it in the name and for the sake of him who bears that precious title, the word of God himself, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This is a recording made in the Chapel of the Open Book and is number eight of the series under the common title Spotlight. What I'm going to say immediately could be very much misconstrued. I'm going to tell you that one hint that our brother Stuart gave last week has made me think of a refrigerator and I'm sure that without explanation that could be very, very harmful. He mentioned, just in passing, the need to distinguish between knowledge and acknowledge. Well, he said, how on earth are you going to get that to do with a refrigerator? Well, a refrigerator contains, say, milk and butter and beef. But if you never take it out, friends, all that wonderful electronics that's gone to make that refrigerator is wasted. And when you take it out and put it on your table, that is the difference between knowledge, the refrigerator, and acknowledge, sitting down, having the results of it. Oh, a very far-fetched illustration, I know, but it came into my mind, I pass it on to you. And so, 
we are taking this question, the spotlight went on it and I can't move it. In fact, I did think, well, I better not take something that Stuart has said, uh, but as he only touched it in passing, I'm sure that will be accepted. Knowledge and full knowledge. In the New Testament, there are two words. One is gnosis, G-N-O, gnosis, and the other is epignosis. So you see they're related. One is the basis and one is the consequence. First of all, let's make sure of one or two passages which speak of the knowledge. Then go on particularly to the results of the acknowledgement. We read, before this, uh, this uh, tape was recorded, the parable of the prodigal son. What alchemy was there that changed the condition of being even willing to eat of the, the food that the swine did eat? What turned rags to riches? What turned distance to acceptance? What changed misery to all that reception and robe of righteousness? Well, the father's love, certainly, but the prodigal's acknowledgement. He said, I will arise and say unto my father, I have sinned. And by that very act, that very act of acknowledgement, the whole past was cancelled out and the new came into being. Well, if there are any listening to this who in any shape or form like the prodigal son don't stay in the far country, don't start, stay with those swine or anything approaching it. If your acknowledgement is standing in the way, how foolish that must be with all the witness of the word of God. Now just in passing, and only just to make sure, I give you four references in the epistles to the word knowledge, the simple word gnosis. But from that I want to pass on to the word epignosis or its Old Testament equivalent acknowledgement. The epistle to the Ephesians chapter 3. You can look at other passages of course and add to them. But these are samples. Ephesians 3 verse 10. To the, end, to, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known. There's no acknowledgement here, just might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Philippians 3 verse 8, we'll take them quickly. Yea, doubtless and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Knowledge. Colossians 2, verse 3, speaking of Christ in relation to the mystery, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Well, there we have three. You can go further, of course, and add to the number. Three in those epistles. I said four, but that's enough. That's just the basic thing. That's the knowledge. Well, the subject this evening is rather not so much the knowledge, but the next step, the acknowledgement. And first of all, let us turn to an Old Testament passage in order to illustrate some of the results 
or some of the failures so far as whether you acknowledge or not. Psalm 51. A tragic psalm because it deals with the failure and lapse of a very loved character in the Old Testament, David. And if you happen to be, if you happen to be able to read the Hebrew Bible, you'll discover that the verses are all different in their number from the ones we have here. Because, for some reason or another, the translators of the authorised version have put in that small type at the top, where it speaks of a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet. That's the first verse of the psalm. It ought to be there in big type, just the same. That's the first verse. When Nathan the prophet dared to go into the presence of the king and say, Thou art the man. And instead of the king turning round in anger, he collapsed. He collapsed. Here we have in this psalm, written by that man for our guidance and learning, the consequences and results of acknowledgement. I won't read the whole uh, psalm, but the first three verses. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me. Do you see the two things? Blot out the account and wash me from the uncleanness as a consequence. Two sides. And cleanse me from my sin. Four. Here comes the acknowledgement. For I acknowledge my transgressions. I acknowledge. Further down he says, verse 10, created me a clean heart. Further down he says, cast me not away from thy presence. Further down he says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Don't you see what he lost through not acknowledging? Don't you see what he gained when once he did acknowledge? A restoration back again to his place before God. But if ever a psalm testifies to the value of owning up honestly in the presence of God, this is one. As a consequence, he could go on to say, verse 13, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. That may be lifted out by some people and say to David, Well, you're a fine one to talk about teaching others. What about what you did? Ah, but he says, I've been through it. I know what the other man's thinking and feeling. I can sympathise with him and lead him in the same path. So, if acknowledgement only brings about restoration when you've strayed into sin, if acknowledgement brings you back like the prodigal son and you receive forgiveness and a robe and a ring and restoration, surely it's something for us to acknowledge and to be thankful for. But there are other things, oh yes, that go beyond the idea of having committed sin and acknowledging it and being restored. So while we have the Psalms, shall we look at the next book, the book of Proverbs, chapter 3. For here we shall come up against the great question of right division. You say, what's right division got to do with acknowledgement? Well, we'll see. And incidentally, before we read this verse, Timothy is described in the New Testament, his parentage, 
His mother was a Jewish. His father was a Greek. He lived in Asia Minor in the days of the Apostle Paul. And we are told by Paul that Timothy from a child knew the Holy Scriptures. And one of the scriptures which every mother would be sure to teach her little son would be the Proverbs. Those wise sayings of guidance. And the next thing is, Timothy would not read the Hebrew Bible in the day in which he lived. The common version, like the authorised version, was the Greek version we call the Septuagint. And in the Septuagint is the word rightly dividing. So he didn't even have to look up a dictionary to see what Paul meant. When Paul wrote to Timothy and said, rightly dividing the word of truth, he would have already had it before him as a boy at his mother's knee. Now then, Proverbs 3, verse seven, uh, verse um, uh, 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine understanding. Uh, here is a little evidence of the way in which Hebrew poetry is written. So many of us think that poetry must be rhyming at the end. So that if you sing a hymn when it speaks about grace, well, what's a poor man got to do but something to do with the face or something like that. But Hebrew poetry is deeper. It's a rhyme of meaning, never mind about a rhyme of sound. So can you hear the rhyme in this poetry? Trust. Lean not. With all thine heart, not with thine own understanding. You see, they echo, don't they? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. Now here it comes. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall rightly divide thy paths. That's the word direct. In our English, of course, the word direct has got some element of it. D-I, the word to divide, and rect is right. And if you ask anybody the way in this city of London, and he said, uh, oh, I think, uh, I hope you would say, oh, thank you very much, I'll ask somebody else. What you want is to be directed, rightly divide the streets of London so that the person can find the place. So here we have then, in all thy ways acknowledge him. That's your side of it. And his side is, he will rightly divide your paths. Am I speaking not only to you in this chapel, but am I speaking to a wider congregation who will receive this tape recording, to anyone at any place who is now facing a problem? It would be very strange if it wasn't so. Are you not sure whether you should go this way or that way, adopt this measure or that? Are you perplexed? You wouldn't be the first. But here this passage still stands, God's word. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Never be sidetracked to do something or prepare something or say something which you would be ashamed of in his presence because it was a shortcut or an easy way out. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he says, I guarantee to rightly divide your paths. Very often a person is faced with a very attractive opportunity to change his occupation and get a better job with a better salary and he could do with that money because of the house and the furniture and the children. Oh, you can guess, yes. But 
secretly in the back of his own mind, there's a little worry. He's conscious that they're not over-scrupulous that firm. He may be, uh, he may be obliged sometimes to tell not a black lie or a blue lie, but a white one. Well, I would say to him, friends, don't compromise. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will rightly divide with regard to the occupation you should follow and whether you should take that job or shouldn't. It's as practical as that. Right division and the question of acknowledging. Well, now let's come a little bit nearer to our own affairs. In the second Timothy, we get a little instruction as to how we may have to deal with some with whom we meet, because uh, this book is a word to guide us in connection with our ministry. 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse... Um, Supposing we look at verse 23, foolish and unlearned questions. I do notice that some questions can be unlearned. You say, well, you generally ask questions if you don't know. Oh, yes. But you know as well as I do there are some folks who came up to you with a question which has got no beginning, end or middle to it. It's not being asked because they don't know. It's because they want perhaps to put a spoke in the wheels. Foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do gender strife. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, and what's the consequence? If God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Well, if that's the consequence of holding yourself in and being gentle and not browbeating them and so on, what a wonderful thought. To the acknowledging of the truth. And what will the acknowledging of the truth accomplish? Oh, he goes on to say, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. So the snare of the devil is connected with trapping you with some false interpretation of Scripture. Over and over again it's true. And if you'd only go the right way to work, instead of coming down upon that person, as they say, like a ton of bricks, and making it worse, you sympathise with him. You recognise your frailty. You say, oh, I've made mistakes in the past many times, and I may make some more. You be gentle unto him. Peradventure God would give him repentance to the acknowledging. Not stuffing more knowledge into him, but acknowledging the truth that he is met slip or in some measure misunderstood. Knowledge is the stuff. Acknowledgement is what you do with it. As I said, the clumsy illustration, knowledge is in the fridge. Acknowledgement is when you open the door and put the stuff on the table and use it. Otherwise, that marvellous invention is a waste. Now we'll turn to Ephesians, and we have two passages here, chapter 1, chapter 1 in verse, um, he says, I cease not to give thanks for you, verse 16, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him in the knowledge of him. 
acknowledge. The spirit of wisdom and revelation is given you so that you may see so clearly the wonder of this calling that you not only know it, but you receive an impetus to acknowledge it. The acknowledgement of him, the eyes of your understanding or the heart being enlightened that ye may know. What you say we've already said about acknowledging? Oh friends, this is a ladder. As soon as you acknowledge one part of God's truth, it leads you to another. You haven't finished with one. And so we have this emphasis here. And then the other one which is so important to us and so uh, in, uh, necessary for us to remember is in chapter 4. It's right in the very middle of the unity of the faith. You know that in Ephesians, the great stress in chapter 4 is a twofold unity. We have the unity of the Spirit, where the one Lord is the centre, and on either side we have the three branches, like the seven-branch candlestick. Just for the moment, you look at it again. One body, verse 4, one Spirit, even as you're called in one, hope is according. Here's the central shaft, one Lord. Then on, a, on, a, on the other side, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Now he goes on, after having said that, and speaks about the keeping of the unity of the faith. He says he gave, in verse 11, he gave some apostles and some prophets, and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers, and they were all given for a very special purpose. The word perfecting, as you've already had explained to you more than once, means to adjust a broken limb, a fractured limb. This isn't the ordinary word for perfecting. This is adjusting something which has been dislocated. And there'd been a dislocation when the people of Israel persisted in their blindness, when they were shut down, as it were, temporarily in Acts 28, and a new dispensation was revealed and a new sphere of blessing. So these apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors their work was to readjust God's people to the new teaching and the new condition. So on. For the readjusting of the saints, verse 12, for the work of the ministry, for the building up edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come. So this is a future goal. Till we all come in the unity of the faith. And not merely the knowledge of the Son of God, that is wonderful enough, but the acknowledgement of the Son of God unto a perfect man, the measure of the stature of the fullness of the Christ. Oh, let's see to it, friends, that we do not merely know in our hearts the central position of Christ, but may it be so obvious in our walk, in our words, in our witness, in our ways, that this is true. We acknowledge we acknowledge the Son of God. You may say, why doesn't it stress acknowledging the Father? Well, God himself, as, as the Father, always points away from himself to the Son. To the Son. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. This is my beloved Son. Hear him. And so we have the acknowledgement of the Son of God. 
I was noticing in John's Gospel, only just recently, that the Jews raised a charge against Christ and said, by our law, he ought to die. Do you know why? Because he called himself the Son of God. And you might have thought, well, if they'd have said he's blaspheming because he makes himself equal with God, they did say that. But when the charge was made before Pilate, they said, we have a law that he should die because he makes himself, he calls himself the Son of God. So what a position he must occupy. What a wondrous person he must be. If that was the estimate of those who had the law and charged him with blasphemy. Our Saviour is the very centre of all God's purposes, whether it be Old Testament or New, whether it be prophecy or gospel, whether it be to do with the church on earth or in heaven. Or let us see to it, friends, that there's no possibility of anyone misunderstanding that the very centre of the of the faith to which we should arrive, the unity of the faith, puts in the very centre, the Son of God, and puts in the very centre of the unity of the Spirit, the one Lord, and acknowledge them both. Acknowledgement, not merely knowledge. And then we have, in the first of, of uh, in Colossians chapter 2, a reference to the question of the mystery. Colossians chapter 2. In verse 27 of the first chapter, he says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, or possibly among you, the, the hope of glory. Christ. Then, in verse, in chapter 2, For I would that ye know what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. What's your trouble, Paul? That their hearts might be comforted. Yes. How? Being knit together in love. Yes. Unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding. What's it leading to? It ought to be something very wonderful, didn't it? With all that piled up, let's read it again that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, here it is, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God. Now, if you are acquainted with the different texts, the different manuscripts, you'll know that the conclusion that has been come to by those who have dealt with these things, is to translate this verse like this. The full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, then stop, and a dash. Christ. Leave all the rest out. That's according to the testimony of the most valuable manuscripts. So you see again, it's focusing our attention upon Christ. The Father is pointing to him all the time. And we are wise to remember that. So here we have the riches of the full assurance of understanding all leading up to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, which is Christ, in whom are hid 
all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Or when you think to yourself, what prodigals we once were. We were far away from God. We were in that far country. We were fain fill our belly with the husks that the swine did eat. We were in rags. We were there when no man could give us what we wanted. And there seemed to be no hope for us until one day, by his gracious mercy, what did you do? Well, you say, I believed in Christ. Ah, what did you do? You acknowledged it, didn't you? You fought against it no longer. You said, I, I don't say you said these words, but you said to the defect, I will arise and go to my father and say unto him, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And then the wonder of it. One of the most wonderful little bits in that prodigal son is to tell you the one that ran. Now it wasn't the prodigal son who ran home. As he got nearer, I think he walked a bit more slowly, a little bit more hesitatingly. He just stood and thought for a bit and then he went on. But the moment the father saw him afar off, it was the old man who ran. He ran. And he fell on his neck and kissed him. Oh, friends, don't underestimate the grace and the mercy and the love of God, either for yourself or when you're speaking to others about salvation. It's not coming into the presence of an angry God that's going to exact this from you or the other. Absolutely free salvation and forgiveness straight away. The father ran. Take away the filthy garments. Put a white robe upon him. Put a ring on his finger. Let's have music. That's acknowledgement, friends. So we can come along the story with David. The alternative psalm to Psalm 51, he says, I was dumb in misery because I did not acknowledge. I didn't open my mouth. I would not accept. I would not say And then the moment came when deliverance came to him. I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is always before me. And when you are in this world perplexed a little bit as to whether you should do this or that or the other and you won't go long in this world before you get these problems, here's that passage we've looked at. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understandings. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will rightly divide thy path. Stand there and look down the road and say, if I go that way, I'm conscious that I should have to deny my Lord in something. Well, that's God's answer. He says, don't pray now to to be guided. Don't pray now because that's hypocrisy. You've heard the story of the old lady who wasn't a hypocrite in that sense, but a rather fantastic old lady used to go around the villages selling buttons and shoelaces and whatnot. And she had a habit when she got to the street to throw a stick up in the air and whichever way the stick fell down, she'd go all trotting along there to the houses and the villages at that end. Somebody said to her one day, Granny, what were you doing up the end of the street? I saw you throw your stick up in the air three times. Well, she said it would come down that way and I wanted to go that way. 
You know sometimes our prayers are a little bit like that, not quite so obviously silly. We go to God in prayer and honestly we ask him, but secretly we hope it's going to be that way and if it doesn't turn out that way, we say, well, make it a matter of prayer. You know sometimes, I've had to count ten when I've heard a person say that to me. You put a scripture before them. It's as plain as a pipe star. And they evade it and say, I think we're making a matter of prayer. Well, that can be awful. That is hypocrisy. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And then we've seen in the um, epistle to the Ephesians, the very centre, the very centre of the unity of the faith is the acknowledgement of the Son of God. There's only one passage more I'd like you to turn to and then I've had enough. You may say you've had enough and as time will be running out. Titus chapter 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect. Now that goes right back to God's choice of you and me. And the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness. Well, that's now. You didn't acknowledge the truth before the foundation of the world. He chose you and now your great manifestation of that fact is that you acknowledge the truth which is after godliness in hope, possibly upon hope, in hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Well, that's in a wonderful context, isn't it? That acknowledging. So I commend to you a further study of this subject. Look up the passages. Look up the others that are not included. Weigh over the context of each one and then realise. It's one thing to have knowledge. Blessed be God for the knowledge he's given us in his word of himself of his Son, of his Gospel, of the various callings, the various spheres of blessing. But all let us never shrink in any cowardly form from acknowledging what is revealed, acknowledging preeminently the central purpose, place and position of his most blessed Son.